Thank you, sir. Bless the Lord. Now let's give Jesus an expression of thanks. Can we do that? Come on, Lord. We love you. We honor you. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You can be seated. My goodness gracious. It's an honor to be back. I esteem and I'm grateful for my longtime friendship with Pastor Jeff. And I spoke here a few years ago. Anyone remember that? Good. Praise the Lord. You didn't do that. A little bit by way of further introduction, I have a message that I'm under assignment to share with you. But just so you, how many of you like to know who's cooking in the kitchen? How many of you don't like to know who's cooking in the kitchen? How many of you are going to raise your hand no matter what I ask tonight? A little bit, just to my background, I'm Jewish, so that tells you I'm not raised in church. Secondly, I'm from New Jersey. That's not the Bible Belt. Thirdly, I was a heroin addict, and I was still in the state of New Jersey on narcotics charges a long time ago. And one day I'm sitting in a high school assembly. Uh, it was my third high school, my fifth year in high school. And I'm sitting in the balcony. And I was about 70 pounds light, 75 pounds lighter than I am the night I weighed, unfortunately, this morning. And uh, I had long hair, pierced ear, eight hairs from my chin, desperately trying to grow a beard. I couldn't be like my brother's here. It just didn't work for me. And I'm sitting in the balcony. It's an anti-drug lecture. I'm bored. And I'm telling my cousin why I, you know, why we should listen. But all of a sudden, I felt a brush across my face and I heard a voice. It wasn't a loud, booming, audible voice, but it was the whisper. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the voice said to me, Hank, listen, this guy's got something to say. You don't know everything. That was my first word from God that I didn't know any, everything. And so, long story short, I walked out of school, chased this guy, ended up at an A&W root beer stand in a little wide spot town in the road in Kansas. And I sat in the front seat of a 1969 red and white Malibu Super Sport Chevy, which is a pretty nice car. You see, that day, I met a man that had Jesus in his life and wasn't afraid to show it. And those were the days when they would greet most weird-looking people in the back of most churches with a pair of scissors and a can of Lysol. And they tell him, buy and need to get saved or you can get saved. How many of you know Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them? Make sense? And I didn't know what to do. They don't teach Jewish kids how to get saved. But I bowed my head. He's sitting next. I'm sitting in the front seat of the car. He's opened his Bible. He's talking to me. I don't understand just about anything that he says. But I wanted what I saw in his life. And I bowed my head, cried out in my heart. I didn't know I needed to go through the four spiritual laws or the 44 spiritual laws. Didn't know I needed to come to church or get down at an altar. But I just cried out in my heart, God, if you can do all that this guy's talking about, then go on ahead and do it. Jesus, it's you are the gutter. I've been in the gutter. I have no more options. Funny thing, Jesus was listening. Immediately, I felt like someone came in on the inside of me with a scrub brush and a hose. Cleaned me out from the inside. Within 90 minutes, I started to tell people what had happened in my life. I didn't know much. Ran into a kid I knew, and I said, hey, man, I just asked Jesus to come into my life. I don't have to do drugs anymore. Don't you knock him till you try him. That was it. When you're saved for 90 minutes, how much do you know? But I told everything that I knew in 90 minutes. Now, some of us know a little bit more. We ought to say a little bit more. Moving right along. And... That day, the Lord launched me into a lifetime adventure 
of spreading the gospel around the world and helping others do the same thing. I, I, I love broken, dark situations because I believe light works best in darkness. And yes, we just came back from the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I'm not here to talk much about that, but I've gone there for years. I know you caught that. Long, long, long time. We had a team of 100. In two and a half days, our incredible team individually prayed with over 1,200 people. To get saved, to get healed, to get right, to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost for general things. I mean, it wasn't a big crusade. It wasn't, a, it was people going out and talking to people, engaging with them and letting Jesus use them. I think that's amazing. When you get a million people coming from all over the world, get crazy, drunk, naked, weird, and insane. What a great congregation. So that's a little bit of the introduction, but I want to get right into the word. Have you ever thought something like this? If heaven is as great as we hear, why didn't we get taken there immediately right after we got saved? Have you ever had that thought? I mean, Jesus loves us so much, then why didn't he make an immediate upgrade to heaven part of our initial salvation experience? Here's another way to look at that. Put yourself for a moment in the company of all of the early believers. You have just spent three and a half years with the Son of God. You've seen, you've experienced, you heard him teach and speak. And at times you were part of some miraculous occurrences. You received the teaching and so much more. And in that time, you were thinking, man, our future is great with him. And then he goes. Now, he makes some promises about coming back. And says a few things about what's going to happen in the meantime. But the fact remains. In our crazy, chaotic, tumultuous world... We are still here. And I don't know about you, but I'd really like to know why. There's some definite reasons the Bible lays out for us. And I want to take a look at a few of those tonight. Is that okay? Thank you for your permission. Again, look, if you grow up between Philadelphia and New York, you've got to be quick or you'll get run over on the parkway. But I want to begin... With the all-powerful, all-time declaration of Jesus Christ. When he said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Man, this is an exceptionally strong statement. There's no weakness in that phrase at all. Now, obviously, Jesus is not talking about a building that is indestructible nor a tightly run organizational corporate structure. The intent of Jesus is clear. Raising up a people who will not only withstand the onslaught of hell, you know, I mean, I'm holding on and I'm going to be here when it's over, but will prevail, will conquer, and triumph over hell. That sound good to anybody? I'm just checking. 
I mean, 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, now thanks be to God. How many of you are thankful to God? This is the time for you to respond. Now thanks be to God who always, how many of you know when the Bible says always, it means what? Always. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, folks, when I look at this, it's not easy to find in this day and age this description of some churches. Oftentimes, it seems like hell is prevailing against the church now, doesn't it? What do you mean, Hinkle? When you look at the compromise, the lukewarmness, the carnality, the scattering, it breaks the heart of God. Now, I want to take a look at a few of the aspects of Christ's reasons for us still being here while he's in heaven. Number one, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. And I'll add, he is. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. One reason or purpose we are still here is to act and function as ambassadors. All right, so what's an ambassador? And a, here's a definition. An accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Another definition, someone authorized to act on behalf of a higher authority. They serve as a representative. You see, it becomes obvious Jesus had no intention of totally abandoning humanity. He has a two-part plan to continue his work on earth. One part is for his people to act as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. To be an ambassador is not only an honor and a privilege, but it carries a great responsibility with it. They, we, they represent the interests of their home country in this foreign land. We are authorized and empowered, my friends, by the Holy Spirit to represent and act on behalf of heaven. Now, 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I like the other translation that says a peculiar people. I think we've got a few peculiar people here tonight. How many of you would call yourself peculiar? If you're a Christian, you are peculiar. I'm sorry, we were driving in the car, and, and, and a song came on by the doors that talked about people are strange. I thought I had to agree with that. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. How many of you know Jesus called you out of darkness? I mean, whether you are a drug addict, bang, gang member, tattooed on the back of a Harley and smell like a sewer, or sophisticated, squeaky clean religious with Chanel number five rolling, excuse me, driving a Bentley. You were brought out of darkness, my friend, and into his marvelous light. Say this with me. I am an ambassador. One sentence. I am an ambassador. Yes, you are. Amen. Thanks, sir. We're accountable for this role, church. Let me say this. Ambassadors aren't kings and queens and celebrities and rock stars or hermits. 
But once again, they are active representatives acting on behalf of the interests of their sending government or nation. In our case, heaven, the kingdom of heaven. So reason number one Jesus left us here is to be ambassadors. Every believer is his representative. May I ask, is this taking place? Is every believer representing Christ? Let me ask you a question. And ask yourself this question. Put it this way. How may I fulfill my role as an ambassador in a greater way in the days ahead in my circle of life? Again, this is a question to pose to yourself. How may I fulfill my role as an ambassador in, in a greater way in the days ahead in my circle of life? Bourbon Street in New Orleans may not be in your circle of life. But you do have a circle of life. Someplace, somewhere, somehow. Second reason we're looking at. That we are still here. John sixteen seven. Jesus said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Yeah, I mean, if I was a believer and I heard Jesus saying this, I'm going, yeah, right. I mean, Jesus, we've just had three and a half years that have been absolutely incredible. And you're telling me it's from my good that you go away? Are you serious? Then he goes on, unless I go away, the advocate or the comforter, or the helper, will not come to you. How many of you are glad the comforter has come to you? But if I go, I will send him to you. He loves us so much, he knew the challenges his church and people would face. Let me just say this. God did not go on vacation in 2020 or 2021. I've heard God go, well, I don't know what happened. Look, God was active as ever. In 20 and 21. He didn't, you know, the Bible says he never sleeps or slumbers. So he didn't take a two-year nap either. He loves us so much. He knows and knew the challenges his church and his people are facing. And he knew that it would be impossible to fulfill his purpose in our destiny in and of ourselves. No matter how long we've been in church, no matter how religious we can be, no matter, you know, oh, we got this down. The scariest phrase in the American language today is, I got this. I've walked with Jesus this month 52 years. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize, forgive the bad grammar, I ain't got this. Jesus left us here to be a vessel empowered by the Holy Spirit. We read in Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We are here to live life, to fulfill destiny, not in and of our own, but empowered from on high with the advocate, the comforter, the, and so much more. The power of the Holy Spirit. Say this with me. I am 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, an ambassador is authorized by his home government. He's given authority. An unauthorized representative has no power. You know, if you read John 14, 15, and 16, how many of you have ever read John 14, 15, and 16? Okay, good. If not, go home and read take you that long it'll make your dreams go better as we see throughout those chapters we are authorized and empowered by the holy spirit to live the christ life fulfill the intended role of god's people still being here on earth i could go on all night on this but we need to continue the third reason that we're still here in Luke 19:13 we read this. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, "Occupy till I come." Now our 10 pounds are our salvation, the word of God, the name of Jesus, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, uh, the power of God in and of our life, and so much more. Those would be our 10 pounds, if you please, that have been delivered to us. This verse really connects to the thought of being an ambassador. The word occupy means to carry on business or even to invest. Obviously, there is an active tense to this world word. Uh, Jesus is not saying lay low, sit still, and seclude yourself. The word occupy might play different games in some people's mind. They think occupy. That's my seat. I am there every Sunday, every service. I'm going to take my seat, hunker down. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to do anything, but I got my seat, and I'm going to hunker down. Let me ask you, have you ever been a guest or visited a church, and you go sit in somebody's seat? You're a guest. You know, a few years ago, I was a guest speaker in a church, large church in, in Florida, Brother Dennis, but I won't tell you where. And my wife and my family were with me, and I come in, and they immediately take me, and my wife comes in and just finds a seat, I think second, third row. Well, somebody came up and saw my wife and kids sitting in their seat. My wife said she could feel the eyeball daggers as that person who occupied that seat normally sat behind them. And then the pastor stands up and says, oh, it's so great to have our guest speaker, Scott Hinkle, and his wife and children. Would you please stand? And they stood, and the person who owned, you know, thought they owned that seat kind of, oh, I'm sorry, you know. When Jesus said occupy, he didn't say just hunker down and do nothing. He's he's exhorting action until he comes. Occupy has, has to do with carrying on business. Even investing what he's given us, our skills, our talents, our resources. Let's get back to carrying on. Anybody getting anything out of this? I'm still going to preach it anyway. I just thought I'd tell you that. Just warn you. Let's get back to carrying on business. What kind of business, you might ask? Remember, in the early life of Jesus, we see in Luke 10, 49, Jesus said to them, you know, he's 12 years old, why do you seek me? 
Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Huh. My father's business. Is this something that might relate to us? Just ask him. And let's start at Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I think we're headed down the road of the Father's business here. Micah 6.8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to give you a couple more. Is that okay again? You guys are so permission giving. Thank you very much. Matthew 4, 19. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's an interesting verse. You know, I, I teach adjunct in a couple of different Bible colleges. And, and I was teaching third year students in this one class in the United States of America. And the class was set with tables, students behind them. And I'm talking about this verse. I'm saying, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then I heard a student sitting right about where you are, middle age, third year. So it wasn't like they just got saved and didn't know anything. And I hear her say, oh, you mean I have to? catch them I thought I just had to clean them here's the story Jesus said follow me and I'll make you fishers of men if you're fully fully following you're fishing here's the other part of the story if you're not fishing you're not fully following now when she said oh you mean I have to catch them I have to but I thought I just had to clean them you may be a better cleaner than catcher okay I understand that but every now and again, drop a line. Cast out a net. Otherwise, you'll have no fish to clean. Then again, if all you do is catch them and you never give any thought to what happens afterwards, you're irresponsible. Which we're in the process of, of, of doing the best to connect with people that we minister to on the streets that would give us connecting information. Jesus in Matthew 5.14, Father's business. We're following him. We're fishing. Matthew 5, 14, how many of you know Jesus is the co-creator of the universe? Just testing, I know this, I know Pastor Jeff is an incredible Bible teacher. And being the co-creator of the universe, he could have chosen any elements to describe the life of believers. But he chose two very simple everyday elements, salt and light. Salt and light affect and influence Everything they come in contact with. A little bit of salt on the food. Whoa. This whole room could be black, pitch black, no light. And yet if I strike a paper laminated match, you can see it all over the place. That is the description of every believer. That we are designed to influence folks for Christ. It's built in to our born again new life. Thank you. I appreciate that. I know it's costing me a lot. No, I'm kidding. Guys, I'm, I'm here. I'm really a missionary to America. I've been around the world. My heart and passion is to see God. The two things I want to do is 
I have a couple things. Number one, I want to share Jesus with as many people as I possibly can. Secondly, I want to help as many people as I possibly can move forward in their own personal part of the Great Commission. Thirdly, I believe every church in America ought to be a soul-winning and an evangelistic church. If it's not, they shouldn't call themselves a church. They can be a fellowship, a community of believers. But a real church, according to the New Testament, is one that's bringing people into the kingdom of God. I can explain that in another time. I believe that. You see, Jesus left us here, my friend. But midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners even were listening in. But then there was a big earthquake. Foundations of the prison shake. The doors all fly open. And the, 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 the keeper of the prison, I bet you he's freaking out. I mean, he wakes up, he sees the prison doors are open, and he figures the prisoners are fled, they're gone, I ought to just kill myself. And Paul shouts out with a loud voice, don't hurt yourself, don't kill, we're still here. That's crazy. Uh, you know, I'll cut this story short, and jailer gives his life to the Lord, he says, what must I do to be saved? Paul leads him to the Lord. And then when it was day, we're in verse 35, I'm skipping through this. The magistrates sent the officers telling Paul and Silas, tell them to go. And Paul, and the keeper of the prison says that to Paul. You may go. The magistrates want you to leave. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. <laughs> But Paul, how many of you know when the Bible says but Paul, there's a story to be told here. But Paul, he says this. You have beaten us openly. We are uncondemned Roman citizens. In other words, you've treated us illegally, unethically, and immorally as Roman citizens. And now you want to slip us out the back door. Get into a van with tinted windows and go to DFW in the middle of the night. Take a red-eye flight to the other end of the world so nobody knows what happened. Uh-uh. Ain't going to happen. I want to go out the front door, 12 noon. I want a parade. I want the chief of police, the mayor, the magistrates to lead it. And I want a, I want a news conference on Hebrew Broadcasting Network. We will not go quietly. The Romans wanted Paul to leave. Go away quietly. And that's the climate that we live in here today. It's okay if we feed the hungry. And clothe the naked and administer help and assistance to others. 
But don't say a word. Don't you dare say a word about Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus left us here to be his voice. That was the thing. You want to talk about a Mardi Gras, which individuals were a voice for Christ, praying and ministering to people. Having a voice for Christ is not having a media platform or a pulpit. It is every day. We cannot be silent. There is no such thing as silent Christianity. Well, Scott, what about be a witness at all times and use words if necessary? How many of you have ever heard that? Delete that from your thinking. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Dwayne Litvin, the former president of Wheaton College, wrote a great book called Word Versus Deed. And in that, they did research through the Franciscan order. There was no record of St. Francis ever saying that. Number two, Francis was a preaching machine. He's preached four or five sermons a day, so four or five villages a day. So why would he tell you to be quiet? Doesn't make sense. Thirdly, if he did give you t- say that, that what he would be saying is you were, your deeds and your life paved the way for your words. Fourthly, and most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, men and women of God, the teaching, that statement as it is normally used to excuse silence is in diam, diam, uh, I was going to say diabolically and a few other things. It is directly opposed to the teaching of the New Testament. We must say something. To our friends, to our neighbors, in the situation that God give us. Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those whom he was redeemed from the hand of the enemy. How many of you have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy? Come on, fess up. <laughs> Revelation 12:11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. What is the word of your, the, your testimony? What the blood of the Lamb has accomplished in your life. I made a decision that I'm, you know, every one of us have a story. No matter what story it is, it's your story of Jesus changing your life. Whether you are a gross, ultimate sinner, or you just came from the bottom side of the pew to the top side of the pew and had a smile about it. Every one of us has a story. I'm amazed how God gives us opportunities to tell a little bit of our story. Nobody can deny what Christ has done in your life. You and I are the voice. We are, we are hands and feet, but we are his voice. We shall not and will not go silently. Say this with me. I am a voice. I am a voice. Let there be no confusion, friends. We are to be nothing less than hell-resistant, ambassadors, empowered and authorized by the Holy Spirit, and taking care of God's business, and a voice. 
these are the reasons, amongst others, that we are still here. These apply to every Christ follower. If you choose to follow Christ, these are the roles for the people of God that are on this planet right here and right now. What an honor. What a privilege. But you say, Scott, what about all of this? All of this begins with a choice. It begins with a choice that we will integrate these areas into our walk with Christ. That we will choose. You are ambassadors for Christ, period. We choose to be an ambassador. We choose to live empowered and authorized. How does that happen? Lord Jesus, I depend upon your spirit today. My life isn't by strength, by power, by good ideas, by rote, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. In him we live and move and have our being. We are to take care of God's business. No one else is going to do it. We're here. Hallelujah. The reason I started to go to New Orleans and take a team 41 years ago, I had moved here from Hollywood, California, where we were working, a ministry that still continues there. And I came here. I'd been down there once for a day or so with Christ for the Nations. Uh, we were directing a home for a rehabilitation home for women coming off the streets. And I came in for a day, and the Lord spoke to me. And the, what touched my heart was the greatest moral embarrassment in the United States takes place 500 miles from here. I felt responsible. I didn't know any, I, I, I didn't know anybody. I didn't. You know, I wasn't a preacher with this. And I just was a guy. And the Lord said, take a group there. So we took nine people and borrowed a van. The person who lent us the vehicle was braver than the people who went. And it's funny, over the years, I've had thousands and thousands of people come to Jesus. It's an assignment from the Lord. I do that, that's my place, but God has a place for each and every one of you. The steps of good men and women are ordered and directed by the Lord. Are they not? How many of you have ever had divine appointments in your life? As we pray tonight, here's the point I'm going to present to you. Choosing to be hell resistant, his ambassador, empowered, occupying, and a voice begins with a choice and a decision. Will you make that choice to live your life by the grace of God in this manner? If you will, would you stand to your feet? The choice. Our whole life, our whole walk with Jesus depends on a choice.
Maybe you're here tonight. And the choice you need to make is really to make your heart or life right with God. And I know this is midweek, this is Bible study, and man, you may be a believer. But honestly, you know, Romans 121 says, although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor did they give him thanks. While you're a believer, your life hasn't been lived in a way that glorifies God. Neither are you thankful. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for one moment. If I've just described your life and you're saying, Scott, I need to make a fresh commitment of my life to Christ, making my heart or life right with God. I know God, but things aren't right. Well, you're in the best place you could ever be. And no one else is looking around. But would you raise your hand just for a moment that I know, yes, we're praying together for you. But you're saying, Scott, I choose to make my heart and life right with God tonight. No one else is looking around. Please, every eye closed in this place. If that's you, would you put your hand up and down that I could see that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can open your eyes. Our prayer will be twofold tonight. We're going to commit to these areas that we've outlined this evening. But the first part of our prayer as our church family, we're going to pray with our family to make their heart and life right with God. God will forgive you and cleanse you as you call on him. And then you'll be in a position to make the declaration that we spoke about. Let's pray together, church, out loud right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and loving kindness. You've done more for me than I could ever deserve. I confess to you, Lord, I haven't lived my life in a way that honors and glorifies you. Forgive me and cleanse me. Let my heart be clean before you. I thank you that you'll answer that prayer. Now this night, I choose with your help to be hell resistant. To live as an ambassador representing heaven. To receive the power of the Holy Spirit for life. To take care of your business and occupy till you return. And to be your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's give God an expression of thanks. Can we do that, Lord? We love you. We honor you. We thank you, O oh God.